So each uh, day, this time, uh, we'll um, make uh, make love a little bit more uh, prominent. It's always in the background. It's um, indivisible from insight, but. Um, during this period, we make it uh, more more prominent, more central, and we do that for for a number of reasons. Um, it's the fall insight retreat, but um, when we actually open to the intensity of the human condition, the totality of conditions that the the Buddha asks us to open to, the only way that opening is bearable is through love. Just too much otherwise. And all along the path of insight, something like love, something like softening, is needed. Just hit patches of practice, patches of a retreat. Maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's a whole day where to try to practice in the absence of any kind of softening, any kind of love is just too much. And... um, and so we, we kind of invest our love in this process of developing insight, of seeing more clearly. And love is the effect of insight, that the more deeply we understand, the less tenable hatred is, the more urgent our care becomes. And the, this, um, these four capacities that were highlighted, the Brahma-viharas, divine abodes, uh, places of rest, places of dwelling, places for the mind to actually like default to, rather than our grumbling or worry or self-aggrandizement or self-hatred, we default, we default to these four species of love. And it increasingly kind of strikes me like the, just the, the genius and the kind of sense of completeness of the, these four capacities. Um, And we can talk about them in a lot of different ways, but the way I've tended to talk about them lately is is it's four species of love. It's love, love meeting goodness, and you have metta, loving kindness. Love meeting suffering, you have compassion, karuna, and love meeting happiness, welfare, 
good fortune, you have mudita, sympathetic joy. And you have love meeting the endless, ungovernable nature of samsara, of suffering itself. And we have equanimity. The heart remaining open amidst the profound limitations of our power. The heart remaining open even amidst helplessness, not closing. Upeka. And there, there are these, these four different flavors of love and yeah, we start to develop a kind of taste for them, you know, this sort of, uh, yeah, just the kind of warm, quiet friendliness of loving kindness and the, yeah, the, the, the grief inflected love and wish for ease that is compassion and the delight of mudita, you know, just sharing in the joy of another and the kind of, um, the protection, the safety of upeka. And so, um, really at any, at any given moment, in any given condition, one of these species of love, at least one, will be highly relevant. A birth or a death, you know, a war or peace, gain or loss. one of these species of love is going to be exactly on point. And uh, mm, this is um, this is um, what allows, allows the ripening of wisdom. Wisdom that is not infused with love, not really wisdom. And so, um, just to, to say that there, there are different ways that these, um, these practices kind of can function. We'll, we'll practice uh, in a few minutes. Um, but just to say that um, there are at least three ways that something like loving kindness practice that we'll begin with today, at least three ways that can function um, as, as cultivation, concentration, or purification. So the cultivation is just um, what we usually think of, yeah, just accessing, cultivating, developing 
this kind of gentle warmth, this sort of heart opening. Uh, it doesn't have to be some intense geyser of love. It may be very quiet, but there's just like, it just feels like, um, yeah, love is just filling out body-mind. And we can have that for another, we can have that for ourselves. In a way, metta begins by being moved by your own goodness. Like actually moved. There is goodness. And even even one moment of of real metta can um, cut through an hour or a day or, or even a life of uh, of sorrow. Just to know, okay, the heart is actually capable of opening in this way. That actually changes something. Even when the love collapses, that changes something, just to know. So there's cultivation. Then sometimes there's no, uh, it's not, it's, it's actually just, like we use the phrases or images just as a way of actually stabilizing the mind, as a way that we just pour all of our attention into the simple phrases. And there may be very little feeling, but the mind gathers within those phrases. And we move more and more into a kind of stillness. And then, uh, and then lastly, you know, cultivation, concentration, and purification. Sometimes the, the metta practice acts like a magnet that draws to the surface that which has not yet been loved. Love and that which has not yet been loved. And so you find yourself wishing, may I be happy, and all there is is grief or rage or confusion. Then the metta practice becomes a kind of purification practice where uh, we are... um, Loving, to use a phrase one of my teachers uses, we're, we're loving to death that which is not metta. And sometimes we go back to mindfulness practice, sometimes we stay, okay, can, I, can there be kindness towards this grief, this rage, this confusion? And when it when practice functions in that way, it um, it it still hurts. 
It still hurts, but it's this very particular kind of hurt that contains in it uh, the taste of um, relief, something being released. And practice is a kind of cycle of abiding in goodness and purification. So finding a, a posture that feels sustainable. And so we, uh, we breathe and relax whatever can be relaxed. The relaxation in the mind. You're not performing practice for anyone. And this is not a love that... um, ever asks you to pretend that things are other than what they are. So the love so completely informed by brokenness, by grief, that it can no longer be shattered by anicca, by loss.
Just reflecting on, on this first day together, all the movements of your mind, all the gestures it's made to take care of you. to uh, stay safe amidst uh, vast forces. Kind of poignancy of any given day. Maybe beginning by uh, bringing to mind that kind of image of some memory, a person, a kind of archetype for you of goodness. Maybe it's uh, an animal, could be a person, human animal, it could be just a slice in time. Goodness kind of permeated your heart. It could be somebody you know or in a kind of archetype of some kind that does something to your heart.
And it's a little bit like your heart resonates with their goodness. And you partake in it. Sensing into uh, your heart center, kind of obvious and subtle sensations in the center of your chest. You're not uh, forcing your heart open. It's very patiently. Letting the care, warmth, melt, the clinging. Melt the arrogance and the self-harshness. What does it mean to abide in kindness? 
this kindness uh, signaling to the depths of our mind that it's safe to let go. or aversion, or ill will, or fear. Is, uh, can't protect us. So we turn to love. And from the inside, we feel like such a special case that we're actually just another human longing to be happy. So sometimes it feels natural, silently, one's own mind, whispering to oneself, uh, may I be happy. 
and be safe, protected. And be at peace. And this is not a prayer about some future but a way of reminding yourself of the uh, depth of your love in this moment. We just ring the bell with the words and then listen to the reverberations in our heart. Once we've reached into the depths, the poignancy of our own life, 
a thousand times. What becomes more and more prominent in the eyes of others is uh, that same longing to be happy, No matter what else they're saying or doing, we detect the poignancy of their longing. It becomes more natural to uh, wish may all beings be happy. May all beings be safe, protected, may be at peace. And yes, of course, war, oppression, poverty, of course. But uh, this species of love is not diminished by those truths. This is said to be a sublime abiding, the Buddha says. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.